Hi, welcome to the Back to Biz School podcast. I'm your host, Brian Tse. And before we begin the podcast, here are two messages from three student clubs. The NUS MBA Healthcare and Entrepreneurship Clubs are thrilled to invite you to an insightful panel discussion in collaboration and hosted by the Duke NUS Health Innovator Program. This event offers a unique opportunity to delve into the world of medical technology startups and the adaptation of traditional medical technology. Our distinguished panelists will share their valuable insights, experiences, and strategies in navigating the dynamic landscape of healthcare innovation. It's happening 15th February, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at MRB 0302. Please check your student email inbox to register. Get ready for a cultural feast at the CSC Club's Chinese New Year celebration on February 17th, 6 to 10 p.m. at the MRB Atrium. Join us in exploring the diverse traditions of China, Singapore, and Vietnam, featuring delectable Chinese and Vietnamese cuisine, yuisen, calligraphy, and a thrilling lucky draw. The event is open to all, with a participation fee of $15 for MBAs, $25 for non-MBAs, excluding alcohol, and free entry for kids aged 8 and below. Don't miss this opportunity to immerse yourself in the festivities and celebrate the Year of the Dragon. See you there. This week, I'm hosting Anik Bao, who boasts a very impressive resume in business journalism. In this first half of the interview, she shares on why journalism became her calling, how she was one of the first to report on an outbreak from Wuhan, and the Evergrande default in China. Let's dive right in. Hi, this is Brian from the Back to Biz School podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, one of my very first friends from NUS MBA. We met, I think, three months before the NUS MBA started uh, in a Swenson's at Boogies <laughs> because, you know, we all had the group chat already. This is Anik from China. Tell us about yourself. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for inviting me, Brian. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. I think you you are one of the most interesting people. And when I thought of the podcast, you are one of the first few people that I want to yeah, I want to put you on this podcast because uh okay, why don't you tell us about yourself? Then everyone will know why. Yeah, sure. Um so for people who don't know me, I'm Annie and uh, I'm currently a full-time MBA student at NUS and I'm set to graduate at the end of this year in November. Um, prior to joining MBA, I was a business and financial news reporter, a journalist. So it was a very rewarding journey that brought me to report on uh, breaking news for Reuters, Newswires, Dow Jones, and to write long-form, in-depth investigative uh, stories for newspapers like Wall Street Journal. Um, and my last job before joining MBA was a live TV news program producer for CNBC. Um, and I've also done similar news programming for, for a radio for one of the outlets that I worked for before. It's called Taishin Global. Um, so my career has been mostly revolving around business news. Mm-mm-mm, very interesting. Um, I'm super curious about the world of business journalism, right? Can you tell us mainly what is the big difference between business journalism and regular journalism? Do you are you always, you know, standing outside the you know the office and want to interview people or what, what is it like? What was the difference? Uh, yeah, so I, um, I would say there's no regular journalism. So I think most people say regular just journalism when they're referring to general news, so social news. And business journalism is how it sounds like. It's just uh, everything that's 
relating to business and companies. So um, basically every news outlet would have their own ways of segment segmentizing news themes and assign reporters to cover those beats. So usually the categories would be um, economy reporters, politics, finance, markets, and tech, mm -hmm. and then social and general news. So there are a lot of overlaps, especially between like business and finance and market stories. For example, when a public companies, public listed companies seeking a secondary listing, or they are trying to raise a second fund, um, from the public, from investors in different markets, for example, like Chinese companies who want to raise money from U.S. investors, then that would bring business reporters and markets reporters or finance reporters to collaborate on the stories together. And the segregation can even be more specific. So um, when we say business reporter, they can have their own beats. So by beats, we mean, for example, a set, uh, industry that they cover, or it can be like EV um, car makers, e-commerce and it can even be google they have their own reporter so this reporter only covers google um so one, one of the interesting trends that i've observed i've seen recently is there's been this new position is taylor swift correspondent so um taylor <laughs> swift as we know they he, she um so Taylor Swift is, unlike any celebrities, she actually brings a lot of infl inflationary impacts to the economy. So we, we care about markets, we care about economy, so we care about Taylor Swift. So now there's a demand for newsrooms to bring in um, reporters who can just solely cover Taylor Swift. I think it's quite interesting. Um, and business journalism, as it sounds, it covers everything from business to um, companies to economies. So I think it's most exciting and fun. Not that I'm biased. So very interesting. Um, I think yeah, I agree with you. It is interesting. You said you mentioned bias, right? So let's start from the roots, right? So what made you choose, you know, bachelor's in media and communications? Uh, I would assume specialization in journalism at University of Sydney, right? Wow, like just, I'm assuming you physically went to Sydney, right? Yeah. Yeah, what made you just go there, like just uproot from China and just go to Sydney? I was born and raised in China um, in this province called Fujian. Probably you've heard of it. Um, so I finished my high school there and during high school, I've always been an art school. I've never amassed gigs, but um, so I grew up in China. Then I was super into politics. I was super into China's multilateral relations and international affairs. And um, then I joined this student club. Um, I'm not sure you've heard of it. It's called Model United Nations. So basically, it's the same as United Nations, but it's a student-run and campus-based um, student club that students would get together and then they would assign a topic and then assign a role, then they would represent and then to debate. It's usually about uh, a global issue like child labor, gender equality, or social inequality. Um, so I remember it was, uh, it was, I was a trainee. I was a trainee to observe this meeting about South Africa. And then um, it was about the racial dividing South Africa. I got so engrossed that I want to look more into it. And then I was working on this feature story for our school magazine. And then, so to get more colors on the story, so I had to talk to uh, my seniors from different sides and different teams and then eventually publish the story. Then I just enjoyed the process so much. So um, I joined this model United Nations as a media, as a press, um, as a reporter. And then so when I was applying for my university degree, my bachelor's degree, I 
basically journalism was the only um, only thing that got me so passionate about. And then I um, I applied for two schools, and both are in journalism. So yeah, that was I think I was quite clear from the start. Yeah. That's that's really cool. That's really cool that you know at at a young age you you knew your calling, right? They call it like you know what what's your what's your purpose in life? The 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 reason that you pursue journalism is because you want to uncover more things, more inequalities in the world. You want to make the world a better place. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I do feel the calling, and I think this sense of accomplishments come from when you get the information across because information is. Everyone needs when they are making a decision, and regardless of social news or business news, especially when it comes to people, um, the people can be social news like COVID. When COVID happens, the stories of people on the ground need to be told, and I think it's about holding the people who has the power to accountability, and mm-hmm. so that what they do, the decisions they made, and the uh, conflicts of interest. Or their personal gains gets exposed, and then they are responsible to make responsible decisions for the public. So I think it's this sense of um, civil duty. That that's really cool. That that's re- I I really really respect respect you for that, and I I hundred percent agree with you. I feel like there needs to be more more truth needs to be told. People need to know the truth, and I, I'm really I really respect that you you treat it as a civil duty. And you, you obviously after you graduated, you start out your first job in Shanghai at uh Caixin, which I, to be honest, never heard of Caixin until I was looking through your your CV and pretty pretty cool name, right? Because this Cai is like money and prosperity and money. wealth, and Sing is Sing mm. is new, but it's also news, right? Sing means yeah. new and yeah. news, which is pretty cool name. But um, so what was it like your your first full time job as a reporter? Yeah, um, that. That wasn't my for, first full-time job, but it is a permanent job. So my first, so before I joined Taishin, I was uh, um, a full-time reporter, I was an uh, intern reporter. I was on this seven-month internship with Thomson Reuters in Beijing. And then, funny enough, it was the end of 2019, right before COVID happened. So my second, my two, two weeks into my internship, um, the COVID broke up in Wuhan. So that kind of fundamentally defined my whole internship with Reuters. So um, it was a very interesting experience because coming out from college, I had no idea how newsroom is like. And then Reuters is not, there's nowhere better than Reuters to be at for a fresh uh, out of college reporter. And um, I remember the first project that I was on, it was about, oh, um, there's this unknown pneumonia broke up broke out in Wuhan and my manager asked me, can I um, can you go find people who are affected? Can you go uh, reach out to people in Wuhan and find out what, what is this pneumonia thing about? So um, at the time, the Wuhan local government and Beijing, the Chinese government, they were all denying that it's nothing serious. It's only denying that it's something serious that we should care about, we should worry about. And instead, they just... Uh, allow people to go around and gather and then let the, the virus just spread. Um, so I I managed to talk to a lot of people on social media and then their parents are infected. Their, their parents are probably one of the, <clears throat> among the first wave of patients that got um, infected. Um, and then they were just so helpless. They were hanging on to me as their 
strand of hope as there as people who can actually help them to get things get the story out and then to get some help get some aids get the medical aids that they need um so it was a very personal uh, i we built some personal uh, connections and they still talk to me even be, um, beyond the reporter's capacity as in how depressed they are how helpless they are but i feel I was trying my best to get their stories across, but also as a reporter, there's really not anything material that I can bring to them except for calling out to those officials that this is something that you should you should pay a lot of attention to at this point. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Wow, that's that's yeah, that's really noble and well, that must be the wow straight into the deep end, right? Your first like internship or you know reporting experience, and immediately one of the first few stories you covered was the the outbreak of, at Wuhan and the 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 also of the origins of of uh, COVID nineteen. That's that's really nice. Yeah, ever since then, it's been everything has been about COVID. Right? It's, it has fundamentally changed the way the the world that we live in. Yeah, and you are like one of the first few people there. That's that's really interesting. So where where do you do you as a reporter? Maybe you you know maybe you were an intern then, but as a reporter, what kind of resources do you have? Like like um oh go go check out people in Wuhan. But that's assuming you know people in Wuhan. So how 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 do you get that kind of resources? For example, I would say um a lot of contacts come from social media. So it takes a lot of social media scouting. Um, basically, I would just search the keywords like sick or pneumonia, like some of the keywords that you can think about, and then you go search and then trying to track down um, the people who actually, they may not be so explicit in terms of what they're talking about, but they will, you can tell. And then when there's someone that you think you can reach out to and then you message them, but out of 20 people that I reach out to, maybe two of them will reply. And then especially yeah. given how China operates, like the um, social media is, is super heavily monitored. People may not say what they want. People are not able to speak freely on social media. And so I usually get their phone numbers and then we call them on their personal number. So it actually leads to a few um cases when the people that I contacted got contacted by the local police force. And what happened is the police force, um, basically everyone's phone, they can be tracked to your identity. So the local police will go to find them and then go to the hospital where their parents reside, where their parents are staying. Tell them that we understand that you are talking to Reuters and then please stop that. Otherwise, we will stop your parents' medical uh, treatment. Wow, wow. Wow. So this this was very real. And then at that point, we just decided to terminate um, our contacts with this source because we want to protect um, the... Basically, we we want to protect our sources. And basically... the least, the last thing that we want is for them to get into danger. Wow, I I, I have no idea whether we can include that, that part in this podcast, okay. uh, but we will we will yeah. discuss this again. <laughs> That's crazy, man. Because yeah, I think yeah, let's let's revisit that uh, in the post that day. <laughs> if you want, we can talk about it later. But uh, moving away from COVID nineteen. Um, going back to Tai Sing, right? So, so what was it like uh, doing doing business reporting in Tai Sing? Um, okay, so Tai Sing is very in- exciting. So Tai Sing, to give you some context and background, it's one of the few independent um, news outlets in China that's somewhat free of uh, CCP's propaganda um, control. And basically, we cover we focus a lot on economy and business news and. As a reporter for Session Global, I write for the English readers. And I don't really have a beat because we are we are, we are a small 
team. And then basically all of us, we have to cover a lot of companies. So I wrote about Alibaba, Tencent, Bydance, basically all the big Chinese companies that you can name it. There would be scoops when we, because we, as a reporter, we have to build up our sources, our contacts. Um, you need to have your own network of people that you can go to when there's, uh, you heard people are talking about maybe Bydance are going public LinkedIn, then you, I would, um, find out, oh, who might be in the know, and then who I can potentially reach out to, who can introduce me to the people that are in, in the know. So it's all about the people that you know. Um, and then the scoop is, I think it's more for me, for a young reporter like me, maybe it's not for the senior, my senior colleagues, they really have a lot of um, good sources to, they can get the scoops on. And then because, also because the scoop, the sources trust them. Um, so it's a relationship that you have to maintain. Um, but for me, it's really about luck. And um, I remember I I did a scoop on Evergrande. Um, that was so twenty twenty one when Evergrande Evergrande was on the brink of. Um, so it first it was first uh, basically pledged um, defaulting on its first debt, and then just so it happened last week. Also, last past few days, Evergrande was ordered to liquidate. So yeah, yeah. Um, it's been uh, such a long. Uh, process but um so when the that scoop that i did I, I worked with my senior colleagues also so we were looking at how what's china's what's chinese government's plan um on dealing with evergrants on um, this financial crisis and how they what's their strategy so basically their top priority was to protect the chinese home buyers they want this sense of social stability they don't want these home buyers to go around the street and then protest because they can't they don't have the house that they put all their lifetime savings to buy so that was a scoop that i did and then it, in I think it took around three months for us to finish that story. And it, I was based in Singapore, but I'll have to talk to a lot of um, my sources in China, based in China. Um, they are, some of them are working for um, local governments, so in the city, um, where Evergrande has a lot of projects in. And then I will talk to the construction officers, officials, and also Evergrande's employees who have resigned, who have left the company. So those are the people who are more likely to talk about uh, what they know when they are still at the company. That's really interesting. And as what you say, it's I think finally come come to a close this Evergrande story. Okay, okay. Um, moving away from Tyson, because after that you went to Wall Street Journal, very uh, obviously yeah. very reputable uh, news source and everything. So were you covering China or were you covering US? Because if you were asleep, then during when something huge happens in US, then will you get calls and then you wake up and then you have to cover a story or what, what was it like? Yeah, uh, I was in Singapore when I covered, uh, when I was with Washington Journal. So, but I was on HR, finance and market team. So I look at Hong Kong and China and I don't really have to work 24 hours, but I definitely have to be standby on my phone. Even after 6 p.m., I have to be on my phone in case this, because especially like companies like Evergrande, they always, they almost always, the most important filings always come out at 10 p.m. or on Christmas evening. So they would just pick the best timing ever and then they drop a big bomb. Um, so I, I would be, I would be have to be on the stand, on stand by the phone. And um, there are, because what you don't know is a long form uh, feature story newspapers so the stories we, we work on are not usually that time 
sensitive, so we don't have to work around the clock. But um, we would we would be instead spending weeks on one project. Um, so um, the hours are not bad, and I'm actually I enjoy it a lot. Okay, okay. And that was the first half of the interview. Join us next week as Anik shares more about a day in the life of a business journalist, traditional press versus modern news, her life as an assistant producer at CNBC Squawk Box, her craziest story when her guest was live on air, and her take on the criticism about journalism being more clickbaity. Lots of content. Hope you're looking forward to it. This has been the Back to Biz School podcast. Bye for now.